The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome you. If you're joining us in person, if you're joining us online, if you're a regular uh, attender here, or if you're a visitor, we want to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are a church that's being transformed in the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that three ways, through gathering in the name of the Father, like we're doing now. We grow uh, into the image of His Son, and that we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before we go on, I want to make this announcement. Um, There's another announcement that I want to make. Uh, Steve Buck, who's one of our shepherds, right before I came up, he's told me that this was just a day like any day for him. And I said, well, no, it is not a day like any day because today is Steve Buck's birthday. So let's sing him happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Steve. Happy birthday to you. It may, be this, it may be just another day, but you only get happy birthday on your birthday, so that's a different day. We, uh, we're thankful uh, for this church, for the lives and the community and the relationships, for the love that we share. I'm very thankful for that, for myself, for my family, and for all the people that I love here. And so uh, thank you for celebrating uh, life together, each other's lives, and this morning, for celebrating the life of Jesus. I just listened, I sat near the front and I listened to uh, the powerful, powerful worship. I felt God's spirit in this room and I hope you did too. We're in a sermon series or we're in a year of go. And this would be today our last sermon on our uh, sermon series on evangelism. And next week, Brett's going to kick us off on a four-week sermon series called The Gospel According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you don't know, if you don't realize that the four gospels, they are, these four gospels are evangelists. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are evangelists. The reason that they write these gospels is for evangelistic purposes. And while they are talking about the very same person of Jesus, his life, they are not speaking of Jesus in the same way. What's fascinating is, is that in the New Testament, it doesn't give us four pictures. I mean, it doesn't give us one picture of Jesus. It gives us four. And if you add others like Paul and other epistles, it gives us more pictures of Jesus. But we're just going to look at the four different pictures of Jesus to give us a sense of what Matthew, what he's trying to tell people about Jesus. What Mark is trying to tell people, what Luke and what John are trying to tell people about Jesus, so to equip us to be able to talk more fully about the person of Jesus. As I tell my students, I said, the, the person whom we're talking to, when I'm teaching about evangelism, the person that we're talking about is Jesus. But there's lots of different things you can say about Jesus. And that are all true, by the way. And I use this example, I say, because does your mother talk the same way about you as your significant other, your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend? The answer is always no, of course not. It'd be a little weird if they talk the same way. I said, is any one of them lying about you? And they say, no. You can talk about the same person in many different ways. And that's what the Gospels do. 
this abundant, diverse, rich wisdom of God. So we're going to begin that next week, but this week we're going to end our sermon series on the good news, on evangelism. And so today we are in Acts chapter 2, beginning uh, in verse 42 through 47. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks for your word, for your word is our life. For we cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of your mouth. And so today, as you feed us, give us ears to hear, hearts to follow, lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I ask today for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus, yes. Church, no. Over the past 20 years, this has been a common sentiment among people in the United States. There was a study done in 2008 where they surveyed, surveyed unchurched people and 86% believed that they could have a good relationship with God without being involved in a church. It's this sentiment that comes out probably over the past 20 years, Jesus yes, church no, because they cite things like hypocrisy in the church. There's also this uh, cultural phenomenon of individualism, which the individual is primary over any community or any authority or any relationships. And there's also a little bit that spirituality is seen primarily as a private thing, not something to be shared. But there was another study done in 2018 where they asked new converts why they came to faith. And surprisingly, from 2008, where like 86% said, yep, I can have a good relationship with Jesus without the church at all. Surprisingly, in the, over the next 10 years, in 2018, when they asked new converts, what are some of the reasons why you converted to Christianity? The church was in the top two. It was one of the top reasons why people became Christians. Because the church influenced their decision and provided a place where they found hospitality, relationships, faith formation. So when talking about the importance of church, they used language like, it was a good fit. They felt acceptance. They felt welcomed. There was a level of comfort there. They said things like this often. I wanted to be a part of a community was the general sentiment. Or I found a place where I could serve. Those are some of the things that were said in this 2018 survey. 
And so, whether we realize it or not, here's the reality. The church, the community of faith, the body of believers, as a collective whole, is an evangelist. The church is the community where the gospel gets embodied. We see this in the life of Jesus, and we take after Jesus in this aspect. So in the Gospel of Mark, it begins by saying Jesus went throughout all of Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. He begins proclaiming the kingdom of God. But then not only does he proclaim the kingdom of God, he goes on to demonstrate it. It says immediately after he began preaching this, he went out and he started calling disciples. And in Mark's gospel, when he calls Peter and he calls other disciples, it says immediately they come. And part of that's not just a story about discipleship, but part of it's this demonstration that when he proclaims the kingdom of God has showed up in the world, which for the gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. He is the reign of God in the world. He goes and demonstrates his reign in the world by he calls people and he reigns over people. Then it moves immediately to another story where he encounters a demon-possessed man. And he goes and he heals and drives out this demon. And what he demonstrates there is the reign of God reigns over the spiritual powers as well. He demonstrates that. But he doesn't end there. He goes on and he encounters a sick woman. And he heals this woman. And what he demonstrates there is the reign of God over sickness and death. And then it has this summary statement at the end of the chapter where it says at the end of the day, all the people brought their sick and Jesus healed them all. All the people brought their demon possessed and he healed them all. And it says the whole town gathered around Jesus. So Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God. He demonstrates it over people, over evil spirits, over sickness and death. And by the end of chapter one, the entire town is surrounding Jesus. That's what the reign of God does in the world. Jesus proclaims the reign of God, and then he goes and he demonstrates it. And God's work is not through or ended with Jesus. This is what God intends. He intends for that same work the proclamation of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel, and the demonstration of it as well, he intends that to continue through us, through this community. Ephesians chapter 3, 10 through 11 says this. It says, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, what the writer of Ephesians is saying is that God's intent now in the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the diverse and abundant wisdom of God that you find in Jesus Christ. Be made known to the powers and principalities, it be made known to the whole world. 
God's intent is that when Jesus came into the world, that the good news be proclaimed, that the reign of God is shown up in the world, and that it be demonstrated. And it didn't end there. Because God's intent now is that through the church, through the community of Christ, through the body of Christ, which he has had, and we are the body, the arms, the hands, the feet that serve the head, that the manifold wisdom of God that we find in Jesus Christ, the, the variety and diverse wisdom of God, that abundant wisdom of God, be made known throughout all the world. God's intent is that now that the gospel will be proclaimed and demonstrated through the church. And what's interesting is that we see this from the very, very beginning of the church. In Acts 2, which we read earlier, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, to, the, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their num number daily those who were being saved. There's lots of conversation about church, how to do church, what kind of church we need to be. But it occurs to me and to some others and to those that study and look at these statistics about evangelism and faith and coming to faith in the United States, that when you really look at it, the church doesn't really have to reinvent the wheel. It just really doesn't. I mean, yeah, we need to think about who we are and what we do and why we do it. But in a real sense, there's no reinventing of the wheel. Because in the book of Acts, it shows us some things that actually those that kind of study and look at like what's important in evangelism, not just from a theological or ministry standpoint, but they just look at the interviews, the statistics, how things go. This is, this is some of the conclusions they come to. They said, funny enough, this very passage in Acts 2, when we say that the church began, it gives us some keys about what it means to be the church and the church to be an evangelist in the world. The first is this. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread.
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If there's any place where hospitality happens, it is around breaking bread. We've all been invited to someone's house and been shown hospitality. In fact, we have a whole industry out there, the hospitality industry. So if you're going to go out to eat after church, it's a hospitality industry. They welcome you. They serve food. Now, their intentions are profit, right? And that's okay. It can be. But if there's any place that we know where we give and receive hospitality, it's in breaking bread. I mean, we did it this morning. When the invitation went out, when Ryan Jones says, hey, welcome to the table, that's hospitality. Because it's not our table. These tables aren't our tables. But when it comes time to commune with God, these tables, this is Christ's table. And you are welcome to Christ's table. And we say, everybody's welcome to that table. Because God is a hospitable God. And he welcomes us to his table. We do that in our own lives when we invite people to dinner, when we share a meal around connections groups. This is why we do welcome table. Because we want to be hospitable. We want to be hospitable and show the hospitality of God to each other, and we also want to show the hospitality of God to our neighbors. If for no other reason than just to show them this is who we serve. The kind of God we serve is a hospitable and welcoming God. Whether you accept that or not, I can't control it. But what I can do is I can follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I can be hospitable. And the way we do that is by breaking bread. The second thing that they notice is they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. In other words, what you notice in Acts 2 is that relationships are important. Relationships are important to the gospel. I love what Brett said just a few weeks ago when he cited some of the research that's done they said that loneliness may be, more, may be uh, worse to your health, your mental and physical health, than smoking. What I find fascinating about that is that we've been inundated with how bad smoking is, the public messaging. And I wonder after the pandemic if we haven't started to realize that loneliness, what it does, to our mental and our physical health. It's not the only place that values relationships, but if there's anybody who should value relationships, it should be Christians. I mean, this whole thing that we're doing is because we, the grace of God, that we have relationship with God and with one another. If you want to sum up all of the law and all the prophets, can anybody sum that up? What is it? Love God. And love each other. It's about relationships. Good, you passed the test. Good job. You were really nervous for a second. It's about loving God. And it's about loving others. 
It's about relationships. And my guess is that for the most part, I realize we don't always get it right. And relationships aren't always great at church. They're not. They're just not. We're human beings. But my guess is, is that many of you are here because of the relationships you have in this room. And I thank God for that. Because it wasn't for those relationships. I don't know where I would be. I don't know who I would be. I'm not sure what my purpose would be. That all the good things that come in my life is mostly because of those relationships. The other thing that they noticed is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they paid attention to the proclamation. They proclaimed the gospel and they listened to the gospel. We do that here. This is what we're doing right now. Proclaiming to the gospel, listening to the gospel, proclaiming it again. It's what we do on Sunday mornings before this time, which by the way, we've had new classes that have begun. And the attendance has been really, really, really good. One of the things that marks the church from the very beginning is that we get together and we proclaim the good news to each other. We study scripture. We look at the apostles' teaching. We devote ourselves to that. We speak it to one another. We proclaim it to one another. We sing it to each other. We keep reciting it to each other. Sometimes we memorize it. Sometimes we do it in personal Bible study. Sometimes we do it by reading the Bible over the course of a year. But whatever we do, we keep proclaiming, this is good news, this is good news. And we keep hearing, this is good news. And we need to be reminded, we need to be gospeled. Even if you've believed the gospel for 60 or 70 years. We share our faith. By giving people pictures of Jesus through our conversation. Small pictures that will eventually create a larger picture about what the kingdom of God looks like. They've also noticed it says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. In other words, their lives fit together and they had integrity. They believed and proclaimed the grace of God, God's gift, His generosity so that they sold their property and their possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. This is just one example of how they lived with integrity. That they were all together. They were the same mind. And what that meant is not that they thought exactly the same way all the time. But that they understood the gift of God and his grace in their life. And that they proclaimed God's grace in the world. And those good gifts and how God was so generous to give himself and all that he has to us. And that we live with integrity because we proclaim that and believe that. We turn around and go, we're grace-giving people. We can give of ourselves. We can give people mercy. We can give people forgiveness. We can share our possessions. We can help those that are in need. 
and our life fits together. And we become a lamp that's put on a lampstand, as Brett talked about. And then at the end it says this, that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. In other words, another way of putting this, enjoying the favor of all people, is that they enjoyed the grace of God in the presence of all people. That the church is a place that enjoys God's, God's grace in front of the whole world. We do that this morning. We do that when we meet in connections groups. We do that at welcome table. We do that when we meet for lunch. We do that when we're together. We enjoy the grace of God in the presence of all people. And that is a witness to the world. And it says this, that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to the apostles' teaching, all the believers were together and have everything in common. And they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And then it finishes with this. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. The church today must embody the qualities that lie at the base of good evangelism. Which the first is this. And this is what we've talked about in this series. Hospitality. That people can come and belong long before they believe. And the reason it works that way is because the vast majority of you sitting here, you belong to a community of faith before you ever confess Jesus as Lord. The second, the second way we embody the qualities of good evangelism, the way the church embodies the qualities of good evangelism, is that through relationships, we introduce people to our friend group, as Brett, Brett talked about. One of my favorite things to do and you'll see me do this occasionally, is when I meet somebody or I have a friend that comes, I actually don't often go and introduce them to my friends, but I'll walk up to my friends and say, hey, would you go introduce yourself to that person? Because I want them to meet. And I want them to connect. Not just through me, but I want them to connect. Because I know if they connect with you guys, there's a good chance they're going to touch or connect with God because you have the Holy Spirit. And the way that the church can embody the qualities of good evangelism is through proclamation. Through a clear message of beauty and goodness and peace and salvation. That we can give them a picture what the kingdom of God is like. One of the last ways that we can embody the gospel and practice good evangelism as a church is live with integrity. That we live in a way that the gospel makes sense. They look at us and all our flaws, all our problems, all of our missteps, because we're going to have them. And when we do, we can forgive, we can show mercy, we can show peacemaking. There are ways to live in integrity even when you mess up. Thank God. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but that our life fits together. That when we talk about grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, that we actually work on that. 
And so that way, when we get up and we share these messages about the kingdom of God, when we talk about his grace, when we talk about his forgiveness, when we talk about peace, when we talk about salvation, and they're like, what the heck are you talking about? We say, hey, just come on, we'll show you. And we don't know all what it, how to figure it out all the time, but just maybe if you come, it'll make sense. That's how the church has been doing it for ages and ages and ages. And the church does this. We not only proclaim the gospel, but we demonstrate it with our lives together, praising God and enjoying the grace of God in the presence of all people. So let us praise God this morning and enjoy His grace together as we stand and sing.